exploring where the domains of business, science, and spirituality overlap. We are connecting rising talent, you, with a different type of business leader, perhaps also you. It is part of an initiative to find people we'd love to work for and with and tell their story. So join us and uncover how leaders can create environments that drive results and nourish the soul. And together, let's grow our consciousness and power. In each episode, we're somehow asking the question, how can we create the best place people have ever worked? Today, we're interviewing one of the mavens in the conscious leadership space, Kaylee Klemp, on exactly this. In her books, Kaylee writes about how many leaders and companies use fear and money to control people's behavior. How partnerships founded in generosity produce exceptional results, though. And how feeling our feelings in the body is a critical skill for leaders to develop. Kaylee works with CEOs and teams around the world and is a sought-after YPO facilitator as well as a New York Times award-winning author. Check out Kaylee's resources in the show notes and enjoy the show. Tierney, hi. It's so nice to see you. And I love that intro. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that the 80-80 marriage is also relatable in corporate settings. I'm not sure that I've mentioned this to you that my husband and I were challenged by Intuit to see if we could design a program for teams there using the concepts of radical generosity and shared success, and they completely translate. So perhaps we'll get to that later in the conversation. In terms of how leaders regularly get themselves in trouble, I think it's such a fascinating question because there isn't one single way. And so the umbrella is really around not knowing themselves or lacking self-awareness and so unconscious habits or patterns or ways of thinking continue to bite them mostly because they don't know that they're there and different leaders will get in trouble in different ways but it is that unawareness and unwillingness to look that i think universally gets them in trouble and what do you think because they're obviously smart people talented, capable, what do you think causes them to not look? I think in some ways, leaders miss feedback. And so there gets to be a loop where I don't know what I don't know, not because I'm not curious, but because by definition, I can't see my own blind spot. And if for whatever reason, I've set myself up so that I'm not learning regularly, not receiving feedback, seeing myself more clearly, I don't know what to look for and what to address. And then I think there's the other camp, which is unwillingness. And that's about, it's scary to see my own flaws. And that I think is one way that really brilliant leaders differentiate themselves is a willingness to see themselves clearly and continue to grow. What about the um, issue of having to slow down and maybe they think they're good enough? Yeah, well, so I think that speed is a gift and it's a huge liability for leaders because in many respects, business requires us to be decisive, to move quickly, to implement. 
And so there is a bias towards speed, toward action, toward achievement. That makes sense. And yet I think the more I work with leaders and teams, I see that slow is actually smooth and smooth is fast. And when I can slow down enough to say what I mean and ensure that we're saying the same thing and that what I'm intending to communicate and what you're receiving match, then we have the best conversations and we're truly aligned, not just nodding in each other's directions like, oh yeah, I know exactly what you meant by that. What did she mean? Huh. Because that that seems to be the um, what gets in my way when I think about feedback. And so this is a little bit vulnerable, but I know we're supposed to want feedback. We're supposed to welcome the um, criticism and whatnot. But for me, it's like, I don't have time for that. I, I can't just, we can't just come here and tell me all of your feedbacks and probably some of them aren't even right. Yeah. So, so I, I can't be I alone that. there. No, you are not alone. You are not alone. And I so appreciate your vulnerability because as you say that, I'm thinking how many people watching, listening, participating are nodding with us going, oh my goodness, I'm so glad to know that I am not alone. I think that what you're also naming, Tierney, is that as I'm receiving feedback, there is something powerful about a mindset that says there is always something to learn here, but also holding discernment that sometimes feedback is projection and sometimes feedback is venting and being skillful in receiving the feedback, listening to it, wondering what is the gift in there for you to learn from, but not swallowing it whole. Because I think that sometimes leaders can end up on a bit of a zigzag path where they receive they receive a piece of feedback and then they pivot completely. And then they receive a piece of feedback and they pivot completely. And they lose their own through line where they recognize what they care about, what they're skilled at, and how they can uniquely lead. That one of my favorite things in coaching is reminding people, you get to be who you are and we want to focus on how you can be the best of who you are because very often our greatest strengths are also our greatest liabilities and we want to walk that edge really well so let's talk a little bit about that what are some of those greatest strengths that you see a lot of the leaders that you're working with Mm -hmm. Uh, and maybe we can talk about different sets um and then how did they play out as weaknesses? And then maybe we can get a little into personas. Yes, great. So I would say that there are a few different archetypes that regularly show up. And one is really about challenging leadership and that belief that if I push you and if I challenge you and if I am constantly putting in front of you something that you don't think that you can do, then people rise to completely new levels and surprise themselves with what they are capable of. And there are huge gifts in there, being able to do things that other people thought were impossible, moving through obstacles that create setbacks for others. And yet the shadow is 
If I'm always challenging, if I'm always pushing, if I'm throwing my energy forward toward impact, it's also very likely that I'll burn out my team unconsciously or unintentionally. So just paying attention to that energy balance or sort of on a different side of it, there'll be leaders. And I think these are our speed demons as you were talking about previously, that there's a desire for so much efficiency and so much accomplishment and so much doing that they get a ton done. But the shadow is they'll sometimes miss the pause to remind everyone what the vision is. Where are we really going? Why does all of this work matter? And then to tune into what information is available to us if we do connect, if we do feel, if we remember the purpose. And so in those two archetypes that you'll see as leaders, I think that they're profound gifts. And exactly as we're saying, those gifts when overplayed, you just lose something that's also meaningful. And another one is uh, that relational um, style. So I've shared with you that it's funny because I can relate to the speed demon on one hand, but also to the relational side where it's like you build these trust. I want to talk about trust. Yeah, We, We build trust using what we think is the right way to build it and, and what we like, which is, getting to know people at a personal level. I love getting to know people at a personal level. What winds up happening though, is we connect, it becomes this, this trust, oh, Tierney's understanding me, she cares. And now when it comes to, I need to deliver some disappointing news, it's like, I get blocked in my own mind. Like, how can I deliver that? How can I make, uh, you know, criticisms to these people without losing their trust? Because mm-hmm. I'm the good guy that they, and, and that good guy is super dangerous. So I don't know if that's making any sense, but. Well, what I hear in what you're saying, that makes a ton of sense to me that I see throughout various leaders and leadership teams is that people will take on one version of themselves, and then it gets sticky. So to your point, you're the nice one and someone else on the team will be, well, they're the direct one. And it starts to be that you actually get monodimensional, that there's only one version of yourself. And then things aren't possible because you're quite limited in one version. And this, I actually think is a a beautiful bridge into personas that personas are a way of thinking about all the different ways that you can show up in the world. And I think about them a bit like coats in the closet that some of them you'll put on and some of them you'll take off. And some of them are your favorite, right? It's like that go-to sweater that you always put on, even though maybe it's old and a little bit you know, ratty, but it's just your favorite and it's so comfortable. And to make it really tangible, Everyone in this conversation is meeting your interviewing persona and my facilitator persona, and they're fabulous, articulate, prepared, wonderful. They might not be all that fun to go out with, and they're probably not very silly if you want to go play with a little kid, for instance. And so they have their place, but they also have their limits. You might also think, for instance, about do you have a persona that's mean? 
And sometimes you'll take that persona and you'll lock her in the closet where like she is not welcome to come out because haven't you noticed how nice I am? And so you can start to notice with persona play, you can fully embody one flavor of yourself and play it to the full because then you get to experience, huh, what are the gifts inside this dimension of myself or this persona and what are the risks that are there? And just as a funny story, I was recently at um, a persona party. So as part of the coaching certification for business leaders that I do with my colleague, Sue Heilbronner, we'll do a persona party and you fully embrace just one dimension of yourself. And one person came as Urgenta, where everything was urgent. And why are we even breathing in this conversation? We could, we should have done that yesterday. And it was so fun and funny to see it played full out. And then there was another person at the party um, who was playing their withdrawn persona, where anytime there was conflict, they would just disappear. And they were exploring how that served them and what it cost them and watching Argenta come at like, this needs to happen right this second. And the withdrawn persona literally in their chair rolled away. <laughs> and just to notice the interplay, each of them learned so much about the gifts, but also the risks of only having one way of doing things. So how do you teach leaders to be more dynamic, have more personas in their closet? Yeah, I, I love this question. It's one of the most fun ways to do it is to notice all the teeny tiny ways that different personas kind of show up. It's almost like they whisper where they're, they'll say, Tierney, what if you tried out being totally unprepared, right? And then your dominant persona that's articulate and prepared and thoughtful and writes questions in advance is like, no, no, oh, we don't do that. And as a coach, I want to play with what are all the parts of you that you decided for whatever reason weren't invited to the party? And can we include those? And by intentionally letting you try out total sloppy, unprepared it's not that that's the way you're going to show up forever in your life, but you might get a little gift there, right? Or if, for instance, you are always really direct, we might have you play with a persona that's totally cool with anything, just the most easygoing version or vice versa. If you regularly show up cool and easygoing to get really intentional about, let me play the opposite. And by naming our personas, and playing them full out, we start to integrate all the different gifts of the various versions. So it sounds like personas are a tool that can help leaders become less one-dimensional. Yes, yes. I'll tell you just one more little story. I love this one. I was working with a person who they were in venture capital and they were saying, Kaylee, I, I wanna be more confident. And so we invented a persona and created a caricature. They were, you know, just out of business school. They had all kinds of swagger. We named them. And it was so fun because then in the meeting, we could say, well, we named this persona Chad. Could you bring Chad? And, you know, walked like Chad, put the hat on backwards like Chad. We made, we made this character up 
and yet it was able to infuse some confidence where this person is not that persona. They are not a caricature. And yet it was a gift of a little bit of confidence that they could fully embody. I love that. And so you're saying that you go into the boardrooms and, and facilitate uh, whether it's workshops for executive teams and or, you know, quarterly meetings, those types of things. And people are really embracing this, I'm guessing. Yeah. So we want to lay some foundation before we jump into personas. We want to make sure we have some psychological safety, that we're able to take risks with one another, that we're all committed to curiosity and learning from each other. And once we start to have that foundation, very often then we'll layer in drama and learning about the victim villain hero triangle so victims where they say life is happening to me villains who blame heroes who rescue and create temporary relief in the drama triangle anytime we start to see patterns that's where we notice personas and especially in the boardroom and on teams we'll start to name some of the characters that reliably show up and that helps unlock new possibilities for the team. Okay, so so that's another tool. And, and that's the, my next question. What are some of the biggest challenges that CXOs face based on the work you do, um, what you're seeing, and what are some tools that you've come up with to help them resolve those or, or, or improve? Yeah. We've talked about some. So I think one significant challenge is really being singularly focused and having one way of doing things. And so expanding to be multidimensional, that tool is really persona play. I think heroing is another way that I really watch CXO leaders accidentally get in their own way. And heroing is, yeah, heroing is where I jump in to help and I unconsciously create a pattern where instead of teaching or coaching or empowering, I'm directing and doing for. And I have yet to meet a CXO leader who wakes up in the morning, has a cup of coffee or juice and says to themselves, you know what? Today, I think I'm gonna systematically disempower my team. Winning strategy, of course, of course not. And yet, in the name of speed or in the name of efficiency or in the name of trying to help out or in the name of avoiding conflict, that's the pattern that will show up. And so the tool there is really around recognizing when I've crossed the line from coaching, from empowering, and I've started to hero, I've started to rescue, to do for, and most of the time, I'll know that I've done it because my energy changes, that there's an initial rush of adrenaline because it feels really good very briefly to save the day. And then I'll notice there's very often a follow-up energy of resentment. Why? Why am I always the one who needs to jump in and save this project? Why am I the one that everyone comes to for coaching and mentoring and starting to notice that what initially felt fun or fulfilling or energizing or adrenaline giving actually has a tail, whereas pure coaching 
mostly just feels fulfilling across the board. Oh. I, I do have a, something that you just said brought up the thought about ego. So mm -hmm. we all have an ego. Yes. And egos love to be stroked. And so that's something that I feel like could potentially get into a leader's way is when they get too excited about getting praised. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you see that playing out? I think that there are a couple different ways that our egos will get hooked and seeking praise from the outside is a huge way that I get on the treadmill as a leader where I only really feel good enough if outside feedback is validating that that is the case. I only know if I'm successful if someone else tells me I'm successful. I only know that I'm good enough if I win the prize. And the risk in that is it becomes an outer directed rather than in, an intrinsically directed game. And so I think there's one, some real compassion that to your point, egos are necessary to navigate this world. And then also to recognize, is it possible for me to remember that I am valuable regardless of what I'm creating in the world, which doesn't mean I don't create. It means I want to remember that my value is a given and that facilitates me going forth and giving my best and contributing rather than doing it for the accolades or doing it for the applause. Something I have shared with this group um, is my favorite tool, which is uh, opposite of the truth. Yes. Yeah. And oftentimes ego can really get into um, our head and, and judgment can start and, and how using that opposite of the truth is something I've used over and over again. Um, let's jump into the 80-80 uh, principle. So on one hand, you're saying we shouldn't hero. We shouldn't. But on the other hand, we should be radically generous. That's one of the principles. Um, yes. Can you help me to understand how those two things go hand in hand? Yes. So in 80-80, the mindset is that of radical generosity where rather than scorekeeping, hey, I did my 50%, did you do your 50%? And having a tug of war, a tug of war around where is that exact perfect midpoint, I'm striving to overshoot the mean because what I realize is I actually never get there. And so radical generosity is that mindset of being willing to contribute, desiring to appreciate, and being willing to reveal is different from hero because I'm not doing 80% because then you owe me. That's actually 50-50. Nor am I doing 80% because, see, I'm really the better partner here <laughs> where it's back to your ego stroking. It's I'm giving 80% as a gift to myself and as a gift to this relationship. What I want to make sure to add is that mindset is just the first piece and that makes possible a conversation about structure. How do we arrange our roles? Who's doing what? 
How do we set our priorities? What do we say yes to? And our boundaries, what do we say no to? How do we make sure that we're balancing power in a way that's really skillful? And if you try to have those conversations from a mindset of trying to make it fair, it just ends up a big fight. (laughs) That sounds very relevant to the the business uh, setting as well. Yes. Yeah, I think in a business setting, there can be a race to structure. Oh, we're having an issue here. Well, what's the racy? Oh, we're having an issue here. Let's clarify roles and responsibilities. And it's not that those are wrong. It's that when they're done from a mindset of being protective or being defensive or trying to make sure that it's perfectly fair and I don't ever want to give out of generosity because then I'm being taken advantage of, then you actually can't be skillful and the way that you balance the various responsibilities or the ways that you do align on your priorities because you're already coming to it with that mindset of combat rather than how do we win together? What does shared success look like on this team or between these departments or with our organizations? Thank you so much. This has been, it has flown by faster than any other conversation I've done. And um, I look forward to hopefully doing another one in a few months. It'd be so fun. Tierney, it's so great to see you. I appreciate you for taking ideas and making them real. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. And talk to you soon. And that's our show. Thank you to Kaylee for a sparkling, playful, energizing interview filled with practical tools and even some live coaching. Whether you are an executive who is open to growing and shifting your approach or are looking to connect with companies who are leading the way, join this international podcast and get practical tips for how work can be a place that nourishes the whole person. Emotional, physical, spiritual, and financial. Thank you to our international audience, guests, and partners. This is a co-op reach out to find out how you can take part.